Welcome to Across the Margin, the podcast. I'm your host, Michael Shields. Across the Margin is part of the Osiris Media Group. Head over to OsirisPod.com and check out the vast array of podcasts they have to offer. That is OsirisPod.com. Today's episode features an outstanding interview with Gloria Felt. She's an acclaimed expert on women, power, and leadership, and a best-selling author. She is co-founder and president of Take the Lead, whose mission reflects her life's passion, and that is to prepare, develop, inspire, and propel women to take their fair and equal share of leadership positions across all sectors. She is the author of five books, and her latest, Intentioning, Sex Power, Pandemics, and How Women Will Take the Lead, which is the focus of this episode. It examines how people can seize the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity of massive disruption that was this pandemic to build back stronger with women at the center of recovery. Through the lens of women's stories, Intentioning delivers a fresh set of leadership tools, skills, and concepts that help all women reach their own highest intentions, purposely creating new norms while guiding institutions to break through the remaining barriers to gender and racial parity for everyone's good. Gloria is formerly president and CEO of the world's largest reproductive health and advocacy organization that is Planned Parenthood. She teaches the course Women, Power, and Leadership at Arizona State University, and she has been widely published in publications such as the New York Times, Washington Post, USA Today, The Daily Beast, The Huffington Post, and I can go on and on in this episode. We dig into the themes present in intentioning. We examine exactly what the word intentioning means while conversing upon how the disruption of the pandemic can lead to positive changes. That is, if we put woman at the center. We talk about our nine leadership intentioning tools that she offers in the book and how men can be a part of the movement towards woman parity. We discuss the difference between power over and power to and so much more. The book is rife with insight. It's empowering. It's inspiring. And I have no doubt you're going to enjoy this conversation with Gloria Felt. Across the margin. Across the margin. podcast so again thank you so much for coming on the podcast i really appreciate it um i'd love to start with a term that's kind of at the backbone of uh of the book and that's intentioning um and to kind of kick us off here i was wondering if you could um uh, discuss why you created this term because it is a term that you crafted it's an active form of intention i was uh curious why you felt the need to create this term and kind of what it is in general if you could well, thank you for asking, Mike, because it is it is definitely uh, something that I worked on for a long time, trying to find exactly the right title with the right concept that I wanted to communicate. And uh, there, are, there are two aspects of it. One is that I've spent the last 10 years helping women understand and value themselves and know the power that they have. And then I realized that there's the next important question, which is the power to what? Mm. 
And the power to what then is where I get into intention. But I'm a very practical activist and intention is a great word. A lot of us use it all the time, but it is a noun. It is a, it's a noun sits there and it's very good and it, it's very, it helps you understand things. But I wanted to communicate. I'm not talking about thinking about something. I'm talking about doing something. So I couldn't find exactly the right word. So I made one up. <laughs> well played. Well played. <laughs> it's got a it's got a lot of power to it. And I think um I, I think that's what I was taking away from it initially in the book was it was about power and finding power within yourself. We'll talk about in a little bit here the nine leadership intentional tools that you offer in the book. But um you know, you mentioned a Wizard of Oz, Oz phrase, um, and you know that but, uh, movie obviously meant a lot to you and to a lot of us. But uh, you know, you always had the power, dear. Um, you just had to, you know, learn it for yourself. And is, is am I right in that? That's just um, kind of how to commence the approach that you're, you're, um, you know, teaching or talking about in your book is 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 finding that power that exists within you. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I, I, I started working on trying to understand why women had opened doors and changed laws. Mm. And we had seen a woman first, almost everything, but women were still stuck at under 20% of the top leadership positions across every sector and had been for decades. When I started the study, which was 10 years ago, I have to tell you that as somebody who has been an advocate for women for many years, I was shocked. I was shocked because it never occurred to me that a door would be open and you wouldn't walk through it. But I had to face the fact that very often it's happening. that is exactly what was happening. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, it, it was, it had to do with our socialization around power and intention. And the fact that the narrative of history about power has thought of power as the power over other people, the power to get scarce resources. Like if I take a piece of that pie, there's less for you. And so you have to fight me for that every crumb. And women have borne the brunt of many negative aspects of that kind of brute force power. So for good reason, it turns out women had an ambivalent relationship with power. And the fact is you can't be an effective leader. You can't even be a leader if you're not willing to use power. So then, then I realized as I looked at the data that women were already earning 57% of the college degrees and had been for decades. So we were prepared. We were a, a workforce that was, that was prepared, and especially in an economy that's based on brains, not brawn now. We're, 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 we're really in a very different kind of economy than the old narrative of, of power. Mm -hmm. Secondly, the business case was clear already that companies with more women in their leadership were more profitable. Governments with more women in their leadership made better decisions, had less uh, fighting, less war, fewer wars. Mm -hmm. it, there were so many reasons why we as women should have been putting our hands up and having that higher level of intention to lead. And I, I realized that I needed first to help women have a better relationship with power. So that's where I started. Yeah. Um, you mentioned something I was just going to bring up and why it's so important 
uh, for everybody to advance woman parity. And you just mentioned how, you know, companies were making more when, when this was happening, governments were functioning better. Uh, and I think that's something really um, that, that needs to be focused on too. Kind of, we all bring each other up when we're all, we're all doing better. And you talk about that some with uh, racial justice too, and how was it, there was a um, Jimmy Briggs was a quote you, uh, you found true racial equality is impossible without gender equality and, uh, and safety. And I, th- I thought that was unique how the, all these systems intertwine can really, it's, it's, there's not one without the other. Interesting. I was wondering if you could speak on that a little bit, how racial equality, um, it could be impossible without addressing these gender issues that are real and pressing. For so many reasons, racial and gender equity have to go forward together or neither will succeed. And honestly, it's almost as though there's an effort to divide us as opposed to uh, yeah, enabling us to, to gather our strengths together. Yep. Yeah, we, we have to make sure that we don't we don't let that happen. Mm-hmm. First of all, I owe my entire career to the civil rights movement. Because it was the first social activism I got involved with as a young woman. And that's where I learned that people working together, even if you don't have much formal power and you don't have much money, you can change anything. And I'll tell you, that was the biggest eye opener for me ever. And it has guided my it's guided my life. I mean, it is, I could never have done the things I have done in my own life without having realized that you can make change. Yeah, you can make change. So, so that's, that's number one. The other thing I learned from the civil rights movement was honestly observing that the men were in all the leadership positions, getting all the credit and the women were in the front lines doing all the work. (laughs) And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute here. If there are civil rights, well, then women must have them too. (laughs) And 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 so that was when I started devoting my efforts toward toward um, toward advancing women, and I. Uh, but I have always seen sexism and racism and homophobia and every one of the kinds of you know things that make people other. Those are all joined at their head, and they are all systematic ways to keep people in their place, as it were. So that's why I feel so important. It's so important for us to to move forward together and having the pandemic of coronavirus and the pandemic of racial injustice that became clear, not, not that it wasn't always there. It was always there, but it became clear. Uh, To me, that just had to be, I had to elevate that point. And, And so the book that I had started to write before the pandemic, that was more of a straightforward leadership book needed that context. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so well said. Um, just want to uh, point to something you mentioned, because it was so important um, and cause language matters so much when we're talking about some of these issues. And there's a difference between power over and power to and it came up multiple times in your book. Um, the and, and, and it relates to this piece of the pie. And I thought it was just, you know, I haven't really thought about it too much. The idea that, you know, there's an infinite pie, there's infinite power that that's accessible. And so we're not just giving, when someone's getting power, it doesn't mean it's taking away. So that's the idea of power over uh, versus power to, is that right? That's correct. And, and I, I came up with that, that uh, phraseology to try to help women understand why mm-hmm. 
power is, it has no attributes of its own. So if you have negative feelings about power, get over it because it's like a hammer. You can build something with it or you can break something apart. So don't think about it as being the power over you. Think about it as being your power to make life better for your family, your, your community, the world, the power to innovate and create and make more pies because, because that's the whole point. It's, it, there is no limit to the things that are most important. For example, innovation, creativity, uh, development of, I mean, look at what's happened in the, happening in the world of tech every single day. There's no limit to what we can create there's no limit to the human capacity to to love and to build and to 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 bring more people toward us. So once I would just say that simple thing to women, I mean, it was so simple. I thought, now this is stupid simple, but <laughs> I would say, I would say, like it was as though masks fell off of their faces and they they had been holding all this tension. Uh, as they were trying to operate in the career world that had been designed by men for men. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, yeah, well, I want that. (laughs) I want that kind of power. (laughs) It seems simple too, but that phrasing really drives it home in a way that that struck me too. You know, I, you always think about power having this, this, you know, box of power that, that people are trying to access and there, but the idea of it being limitless, it's that offers more hope for more people to have power. I thought, I thought that was just so well put. So a lot of your book speaks to the moment. And this is, you know, that, that we're dealing with, dealing with the pandemic, this, um, this, this disruption in our life. And of course, there's so many horrors that, that occurred over this year and, and trauma and, and such, but there was a correlation um, you discussed between uh, disruption and rebirth and kind of an opportunity. Um, and it's great to look at these opportunities that this awful thing, uh, you know, uh, uh, that's arising from it. But um, there are some positives to look at uh, that you discuss in your book, um, you know, that this disruption has led to this rebirth. And I'd love to hear you talk about that some. It has been such a massively disruptive time. I mean, it's not just been a little disruption. It has been a (laughs) massive disruption. And in those times of massive disruption, you also have a time of rebirth. And it's because these are the moments when we all have to think new thoughts. If we don't think differently, we will not survive. And uh, it it stands for organizations as well as for individuals. Mm Now, in the book, I talk about how three different women reacted to the the disruption of the pandemic. One of them just like she had to close her business down. She had a very consumer facing business and had just started raising money for it. Money all dried up. She had to close her shop. She could, I mean, it, there was no way she could continue or at least she felt there was no way she could continue. She just like stopped for a year. Mm-hmm. Now, I will tell you that I caught up with her recently, and not only has she caught up, she didn't reopen her business, although she eventually will, Mm -hmm. but she's moving back to her home state of Texas and running for Congress. Fantastic. Uh, You know, it was a whole rethink of what mattered to her and Mm -hmm. and what, you know, how she wanted her life to, what she wanted her life to mean. She used the disruption for, for, you know, kind of reimagining what her life could be. Exactly. Exactly. The second one saw the opportunity in the pandemic because she had a company that was brand new. Mm. She curated groups of women 
who are there to support each other in their career path, but it was ge geography-based. Aha, pandemic, Zoom. It doesn't matter where people are anymore. Her business has grown by leaps and bounds because she can match people from all over the country. And she's had $2 million of investments in the past year. The third completely reimagined her uh, her purpose in life. Her She's a composer and concert pianist. And her name is Marina Arsenevich. And she's I told her she's my archetype intentional woman. She's so amazing. Well, performers couldn't perform. You know, of course, all of her all of her engagements were gone. What did she do? She turned her house into a recording studio. She has written more music than she's ever done in her life, including an entire new opera based on on uh, Nikola Tesla. She's from Serbia, as he is. And this will be starting to be performed next year if all goes well. And uh, and she has recorded tons of music. She's grown her social media following to hundreds of thousands. Millions of people listen to her music on YouTube now. So she's reaching more people. And once she's able to start being out there performing, her audience is going to be 10, 12, 100 times larger than it was, yeah. Than, than it was before. So, she, so those are three different ways that people, individual people, have dealt with the pandemic. Yeah. But it's also true for organizations. Hmm because our organizations tend to be very rigid in their design until they can't be anymore. And all of a sudden, everybody's working from home. All of a sudden, guess what? It's quite obvious. Some things that women have been asking for to have to be changed in our institutions, it, they can actually be done and done profitably. Yep. You can work from anywhere. You can work anytime. You can take care of your kids and you can get your work done. Oh, so many of the organizations are having to be much more flexible. And I project that as the future of work. Yeah. Yeah. There's some, there's some bargaining power that was gained in some ways. We also mentioned that, that that's, I think, very pertinent that uh, a lot of the change that um, was happening for women and, and people of color was happening so slow over the years. And, and you know, you see a lot of focus on, on, uh, on you know, uh, national attention on, on both at this point afterwards, and hopefully disruptions like this actually lead to, uh, you know, a quicker rate of change. That's, that's definitely something I, I hope for. And, you know, they got it. And you also speak to, and it's a hashtag. I'd love to hear you talk about this a little bit, the hashtag of uh, put woman at the center and the power to put in woman at the center of this kind of, um, you know, reemergence from this disruption. Um, uh, what type of power is that? It is, it is essential. It's, it's not yeah. just huge it is also it's yeah. 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 And the reason the reason is that uh the, the reason well there's there's several reasons but for one thing women lost jobs uh many times more frequently than men oh, yeah. why because women tended to be and particularly women of color mm. tended to be in lower paying more uh consumer or patient or client facing jobs where they couldn't do them anymore yeah. And, and, you know, caregiving and, and, and things like that. So, so women lost jobs four times as frequently as men initially. And women have been slower to come back into the workforce for several reasons. Number one, because some of those jobs just disappeared, period. You know, they're, they're not going to come back, some yeah. of them. Uh, but also because 
there is this big rethink going on. And many, many women, I mean, the the pressures of of caregiving have continued to fall disproportionately on women. And so the, the women who are able to make a choice about whether to go back to work or not are often thinking, I just can't, I can't deal with both of these things right now. I'm going to have to step back for a while. So there are many different reasons why, but at this point, women are coming back into the workforce to a a, a large extent, but they're still about half as likely as men to be coming back into the workforce. And that has long-term consequences, particularly after all of these years where women have been earning the bulk of college degrees, companies have been investing in women and in trying to get more women into their leadership. So they can't afford to lose that talent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if we could, I'd like to talk about um, men for a moment. Because there's a, a, I think it's chapter nine is um, what about the men? I'd love, um, I mean, I got this term right here. Um, you use the term um, instead of allies and uh, in, was it intentional um, partners, which I thought partners. was really good. But you highlight some incredible male intentional partners, as you call them. And, uh, um, you know, I'd love to hear uh, you talk about what makes um, kind of an ideal intentional uh, partner and kind of the role men have to play in this, because, I mean, they have a big role to play as well. We will never reach parity unless men and women are in this together. Yeah. And, and, I, and, and it's also important to recognize that in, in no way am I saying women are better or men are better. None of this is hardwired. None of these characteristics are hardwired. It is, it is entirely culturally learned. And I don't think we, you know, often the narrative that we get makes it sound like, you know, men are from Mars and women are from mm-hmm, Venus. But mm-hmm. in truth, we're all from Earth. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and the, 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 but, but we start being acculturated differently, literally from the moment of birth. Mm-hmm. We are, mm-hmm. people react to us differently. And so we react differently back to other people and Absolutely. to the cultures. So, mm-hmm. You know, different characteristics get ingrained in us. And, and the reason I titled that chapter, What About the Men, is because every time I make a speech, somebody will say, oh, what about the men? Mm. And so mm. <laughs> I've, heard that, I've heard that question. So I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm going to name this chapter, What About the Men? Going right to the point, yep. yep. <laughs> what about the men? What about men? Well, so the, the good news is there are so many men now who are proactively working toward gender equality for many reasons. Sometimes it's purely a business decision. And you know what? I really don't care. That's whatever it takes, right? (laughs) Whatever it takes. And there are also many men who, I'll give you an example. I I teach a a course, a college course often called Women, Power, and Leadership. And I, Mm. I have much of this information in that curriculum. And it's co-listed between uh, the business school and the women and gender studies at Arizona State University. So I generally have about 25% men in the course. And when they first come in, they are sometimes have a little nervousness about the topic, a little chip on the shoulder, maybe kind of standoffish a little. And then it dawns on them as they look at the data that, wait a minute, this is impacting my family's income. This is about, this is, this is going to hurt my mother, my sister, mm-hmm. my girlfriend. They see if the bigger picture. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So it becomes very personal. So yeah. there are many men for whom 
the issue of gender equality has become very personal and there are it's just you know it's it's a wide wide range i i have been so fortunate to have some men in my own life starting with my father who told me that i could be anything he used to say anything your pretty little head desires you know which is a little bit i was kind of (laughs) for a man of his era that was very forward looking it's empowering yeah, it was yeah. very empowering. And I, it, the culture told me something very different. So it took me many years to hear it, but it finally took root. Mm-hmm. I, I, there are, you know, I, I have learned so much from male mentors. And as, as men and women work together more, it becomes more, I guess you would call normal mm-hmm. and routine to be supportive of one another and to mentor and sponsor one another so that it's no longer uh, an unusual thing. But there are men who are really being leaders in that field, like uh, like uh, Brad Johnson and and David Smith, who have written mm-hmm. several books and, and ta- speak to corporations about how men can be better. They, they do use the term ally, but like I said, I ally to me still has a little bit of a tinge of a power imbalance. Yeah, yep, like, yep. I, I, I can't do this without you. Yep. Well, uh, partner is really good. I like partner, mm-hmm. I like partner mm-hmm. a lot better. More equal. Yeah. Again, it, language matters too. And I, I like it, you, the, the, you know, focusing in on that. I thought that was really, really interesting. There's uh, just to listeners know in the book, there is um, nine tips and tools for men who are uh, partners for um, gender equality, which is really, really fascinating. I learned a lot from it too. There's also another list um, I'd like to speak on too, nine leadership intentional tools you offer. Um you know, we don't really have to go through each and every one of them. They're in the book and they're all really fascinating. But what were those designed to do generally? Mm-hmm. They divide into three different categories. And the categories are first the self-definitional power tools. And these are the power tools that are very introspective. I'm sorry, the leadership intentioning tools. I have to use my own yes, proper term. Yes, language matters. <laughs> power tools are kind of a shortcut. Uh-huh, yeah. Intentioning tools. The, the, so this first group of three are, are how you, how leaders can really know themselves well, because the greatest leaders know themselves very well. They know who they are and they show who they are to people. And to do that, you have to uncover yourself, anything that you've been hiding, you have to come to terms with. You, uh, people, people do cover in the workplace to try to feel like they belong. And as you rise in leadership, you have to kind of peel off a lot of those layers you put on top of yourself. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you, you referenced the finite pie principle. That's mm-hmm. one of them, which is to, to not to, to understand, you don't have to hold on to your little bit of, of power. You, you, you there is this finite, un, it, there is this infinite pie infinite, yes. opportunity. Yes. Believe in, it. Believe in that infinite pie. And then the second the second group of, of tools is the counterintuitive tools. And these are often things that you've been told not to do. Um, whereas what I learned from my own experience in leading arguably one of the most uh, complicated organizations in the world, uh, oh, yeah. that, uh, that it, it, you, you really, um, you, you get further faster if you don't wait until you're totally confident for one thing. Mm-hmm. So one of those tools is modulate confidence. Mm-hmm. Is your you know women there's this whole industry for women around becoming more confident. 
it's kind of like happiness. You can't just go look for it and, and inject it into your veins. Yeah. You have to, you have to create it. You have to build your muscles and you build your confidence muscles by, by taking risks mm. and by, by doing things that build that confidence. Mm. So if you wait until you're totally confident, you might never do anything. Like by what, yeah. You might yeah. just sit there and, and never, never accomplish what you really have the capability to do. So those are that's one of the counterintuitive tools. Then there's the third bucket, which is the ch systems change tool or, or the change leadership tools. Yeah. Yeah. And th th that kind of gets back to the fact that, I, as I like to say, what you do is more than what you do. Mm. And mm we can change whole systems in order to make them more equitable. And ultimately that's where we need to go. It has to start with the individual because you, you, you need to have those opportunities for yourself and you have to have the intention for yourself mm -hmm. to achieve those leadership roles. But once you're there, I, you know, it really doesn't matter if you don't make life better for other people. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So you that's systems too. Yeah. Definitely. And that speaks to, you know, you know, bringing, bring us all up together too, which just kind of resonated through the whole thing. But those, uh, the systems change tools were just amazing. I'm just going to list them real quick. Seven was be unreasonable. Eight, unpack implicit bias and turn its effects on its head. And number nine was clinging the symbols. And, you know, obviously you go in depth to each one of those in your book, but those are just seem so powerful. And you're right. You got to get to a certain point too with yourself before you start working on those things. But um, really, really great tools there. Um, you highlight so many incredible stories in your books, uh, in, in this book. And um, uh, just to speak to one of them, because you kind of culminate the book with one um, about Cindy Guerra Robbins. Um, and I was wondering, you know, why, what was so special about her story that you kind of, uh, you know, capped off, uh, capped off the whole, whole book with her story? I first became very interested in, in Cindy when I was following the process that Salesforce, the company Salesforce went through to equalize pay between men and women. Mm -hmm. And I was very curious as to how that had happened. And I noticed that she was often the spokesperson for the company in, in telling that story. So I tracked her down. And I learned a number of things from her. First of all, that she uses several of these intentioning tools. In particular, she uses the build social capital tool. And it, it seems to be something that she inherently understood that relationships are everything, that, uh, that the world turns on human connections. And her career had moved forward very quickly, primarily because of the relationships that she had and that she built and that and that then there were mentors who wanted to help her to uh, to advance mm -hmm. and at the time that she was able to get the change at salesforce she was the chief people person and she didn't do it alone again it was about building social capital she joined with another female executive at Salesforce. And together they went to the CEO and they said, you know, you need to get ahead of this. Mm -hmm. There are rumblings in the company that women aren't being paid equal to men for the same jobs. So you need to take that on and you need to, you need to fix that and, and do it 
do it in a way that's visible so that people will appreciate what's being done. And he, he, he took that on and he, he, but if she hadn't had that relationship with him, if she hadn't built that trust with him, she probably wouldn't have been able to go and issue that kind of a challenge yeah, to her CEO. Yeah. So that what she realized after that, that after that change was made at Salesforce was that all around her, other companies were starting to be aware of their own inequalities in their pay and that many other companies then started analyzing their pay systems and making adjustments as needed. And I, when I talked to her uh, later, I talked to her, I, you know, after about two years after I had interviewed her initially, and one of the things she explained to me was that every year now at Salesforce, they reevaluate because they buy other companies and some of the other companies have not done that same salary comparison. Mm -hmm. And so every year they still have to go through the same process. So it's not a one and done. And that's a, that's an important piece of this, of this story, mm -hmm. but it was so, it was so powerful for me to see how she understood from the get go that what she was doing was helping all of the women at Salesforce, but it was also starting to have a ripple effect out. And that is the, you know, it, um, it goes back full circle to what I learned about movement building. So these two women working together were able to make that kind of a change that is still having ripple effects to this very day. Love it. It shows the power. I mean, it, it, and the things we do have more of a ripple effect, I believe, than, than you sometimes even realize, which is, which is something to, to, to remember. Um, you know, I, I learned so much from you. Like, I even love like the, yeah, just like these little nuggets of wisdom, like, you know, leap day, um, you know, <laughs> feministic roots and just, I mean, just so many different aspects. And there's a lot that I'm taking away from the book and there's so much different people could take away from the book themselves. But I'm curious just to, um, you know, what would you hope that um, uh, woman, men, anyone take away from, from after reading uh, Intentioning? First, I hope that, or I am intentioning, that people will <laughs> take it. away a sense of optimism. Mm. Because right now, the narrative that we're hearing day after day is quite negative. Yeah. And women are burned out. Women are leaving the workforce. Men and women are, I mean, you know, the economy is going to go to, you know, he's going to go down the drain in the next year. I, no, it will. What will happen will be based on how we approach it, how we think oh, about right. it, what we do with this, with this moment mm -hmm. in time. So it's really up to us. So I want people to have that sense of optimism that they can make a difference for themselves, for their, their families, for their country, for, mm -hmm. for their business, whatever it might yeah. be. The other thing is that, you know, there, there are many leadership books out there. I think if anybody really knew how to do it, there wouldn't be so many bestsellers. <laughs> <laughs> so what I came to believe is that it's all about how you think. It's, you can learn the basic skills anywhere. Go to Harvard, go to your local community college, go anywhere. You can learn how to budget. You can learn how to plan. You can, you know, you can learn HR rules. Mm. You can get that anywhere. The world didn't need me to write that kind of a book. Mm. What I wanted to do was to help people have thinking processes yeah. that would stand them in good stead as they move up their career trajectory. Mm. And I want the women who read the book to know their power, 
take that power inside and elevate the level of intentionality that they have, see themselves doing something bigger and bolder than they ever might have thought. And if we do that for a generation, well, I actually think if we only do that for the next few years, we will achieve parity and leadership. Love it. Love it. Um, your book's inspiring. The stories in it are inspiring. Your story is inspiring. It's empowering um, in a major, major way. So many tools that people can use to better their lives and better everyone's lives as a whole. So I'm so glad uh, I read it and I'm so glad um, to spread the word about it. And thank you for taking the time to talk about it today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, Mike, if I can just say that in keeping with my practical spirit, mm-hmm. I also designed a, a mini workbook to go with the book. Oh, okay. So anybody can get a, get it for free on my website, GloriaFelt.com. Great, great. I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm going to check that out. So GloriaFelt.com, check that out. Thank you again, Gloria. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. podcast is in the loop the legion of osiris podcasts osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love get in the loop at osirispod.com